Welcome back to another episode of the Pivot and Go podcast where we bring on high performers of all areas to talk about their life pivots. We've all felt stuck to some extent, a lot of us now in the 2020, 2021, just stuck situation. But how do you pivot out of there and how do you take the steps toward achieving your success and, and the mission that you were meant to be on? And we bring on these high performers to de- dissect what they have done to be able to do so. And this episode, this week is a very special treat because it's a movement that is beginning. The See Me movement, putting a stop to workplace bullying and it's such a prevalent thing now in the workplace in schools and just in our life and how to turn that around how to be proactive and not reactive and this week's guest is megan carl megan was the gm of nike basketball the the entire nike basketball she ran the international product she was at the top of the top at nike and stepped away to follow this passion and this mission. She's writing a book, will make a screenplay. It's going to be something that's absolutely a game changer. And we can all resonate with this bullying to some extent and being able to make a stand and take a, take a, damn, I mean, just take a hard stance and put a stop to this is very important. And Megan does an amazing job on this podcast and gives us a lot of nuggets that we can implement in our lives to be able to help others to build the cultures of our family, our workplace, our school. And it all starts with being proactive and not reactive. So without further ado, buckle up because here we go. I'm dreaming vivid, so I'm living my goals. Written to existence, you know I'm doing the most. I'm steady winning, having breakfast for dinner, cause I'm always giving the toast. I live that 1% of lifestyle, didn't you know? Doing what I can just to get in the zone. Incremental change and help you get in the flow. But if you hit the wall, gotta pivot and go. Switch your perspective and go for the goal. That ain't the end of the road, just pivot and go. Just pivot and go. Quick break in the podcast because I need to go grab a snack, a beef stick, grass-fed beef stick from Paleo Valley. Yeah, I'm addicted. Who is Paleo Valley? They are based on nutrient-dense foods, grass-fed, organic. They are literally changing the game of health and nutrition and keeping it super tasty. Beef sticks? amazing. They got turkey sticks, the super greens, bone broth protein. They got healthy bars of all different flavors, even essential C complex, turmeric complex, literally everything you need to optimize your life, your day, your energy right there, right there at Paleo Valley. Check them out. And for listeners of the Pivot and Go podcast, special to you, 15% off anything they have with Pivot 15. Pivot 15 is your code at checkout. It'll be in the show notes and everything like that. But Paleo Valley, appreciate all that you guys do. Pivot 15, check them out. Megan, Carl, welcome to the Pivot and Go podcast. Such a blessing to have you on here. Where are you coming from today? Oh my gosh. I am from Portland, Oregon, and it is so nice and sunny here which uh, is going to give you a little Southern Cal uh, ocean view for its money today. But yeah, it's a beautiful day in Portland, Oregon. I had to come down to a different part of our house because my office has kind of blinding sunshine on it right now. So wow, look at that optimism coming in. That's probably right? one of two days that Portland will ever get that type of sunshine. I love it. It's cloudy here totally. at the marina, which is yeah, wow. we, we oh yeah, bundle up in the marina. Woo, yeah, <laughs> that it's chilly for you. 
Yes, <laughs> exactly. Shouldn't have to pay taxes if it's cloudy here in California. That's it's bogus. Megan, right. hey, That's start right. us off with a bang. Start us off with something maybe not everybody knows about you, something different. It can be offbeat. Just a bang. Um, you know, besides the bang of Cobra Kai, you know, the <laughs> absolute binge-worthy <laughs> Cobra Kai several seasons, uh, which I have thoroughly joy- enjoyed, so and awesome. uh, binging Peloton, of course. But, you know, one of the things that might that people might not know about me, I guess, is so I'm 55 and I'm still a gym rat at heart. And so when I step into a gym, it can be, you know, our little Catholic school where my 14 year old daughter goes in a little teeny tiny gym, or it can be a big gym. I always, for some reason, want to run a set of lines. <laughs> you want to run the line? It's hilarious. And I actually think I still can, and and like would still have game with it, and would you know beat a bunch of people, and I I still see that. So that hey, I think might be something people don't know. I think we might be related somewhere down the line. It's just that that aura you feel when you step into the gym. I'll, I can't say I really want to run lines. I'd rather spot yeah. up in the corner and get a pass and shoot threes yeah, all day. Well, but. there's. See, there's a difference in our game right there. I'm just a grinder, and yeah, I'm gonna gonna take the charge, and I'm gonna oh, let you shoot up. Man, shoot I that. would love to have you on my team. I'm gonna let you shoot teammate. that pretty jumper. Perfect. <laughs> hey, Megan, on the Pivot and Go podcast, we bring on high performers to talk about pivots in their life, a time, a situation where they felt stuck and had to make a small turn or a big turn and pivot out of it. What has been the biggest pivot for you in your life, and how did you come out of it? Um, well, first of all, I love the title of your book, Pivot there and Go, is. and I love the title of your podcast uh, because it really has made me think about pivot. And, I mean, it'd be is there a more important fundamental skill in the game of basketball than pivot, you know? I mean, you start with that two-footed jump stop, right? And you think you are on with that thing. And then you pull, you know, the ball is down at your knees and it's magnet ball and you don't know what to do, right? You get tangled up. And then the pivot opens up an entire visual of the court that you couldn't see before. The lane is open. The court is open. There's nurse open in the corner. (laughs) You're shooting it out to him. And so in life, you know, I, you know, and give me a sports metaphor for, for anything in life and I'm in, um, but the pivot in life is so important. And I think life is just a whole lot of pivots. I mean, my life has been, I mean, pivot, pivot and go, pivot and go, pivot and go. And, you know, the most, um, I guess, telling, um, um, frankly, difficult pivot that I've ever been through is when I was 18 and my mom suddenly died of cancer and it was a, it was a diagnosis. And then six weeks later she was gone. Wow. And the pivot for me, and of course I wouldn't know that I was pivoting at the time because I was so completely shattered, but I had just gone to USC on a full ride academic scholarship. So I am like time of my life. Mm -hmm. 
It is women of Troy. We got Cheryl Miller. We got the McGee twins. We got Cynthia Cooper. Mm-hmm. I am like, when am I going to run into them on campus? I can't wait to be their best buddy. Um, and, you know, I've gone through sorority rush. I've done the whole thing. And my knees are taken out, out from under me. And I think the pivot for me was recognizing that for my survival, um, I was going to need to get to my brother, Neil, who was at University of Oregon at the time. And it was a really difficult, you know, it was such a difficult time. And it was such a difficult decision because I had always been rule follower. I mean, I'm down there with a scholarship. It's the only way I could go to USC. We couldn't afford it. Um, and to give that up and to let it go was a, was a huge decision. And it was a super difficult decision because I really felt like I was letting people down. Um, I was throwing something away. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I just wasn't sure who I was at that point. And I knew that if I tethered, I knew I had a shot if I tethered to Neil. Yep. So that's probably, you know, when you say biggest pivot, that's the one. That's wow. That's powerful. That is very powerful. And and being able to have a brother with you through that. And just to let the audience know your brother, Neil, like, actually I hang out with two people most of the time, my wife and your brother, Neil, Neil on Sports Center. I literally, I was just on the road last weekend and I was, I, I felt like me and Neil were just hanging out. It's, he's talking there on Sports go. Center, the anchor. So yeah, I mean, he's a, he's an amazing guy, obviously. And it sounds like he's been just an absolute rock for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we had, you know, we were raised by a basketball coach, our, our stepdad who came in, came into the picture when we were really little, I think maybe I was three. Um, you know, he was a basketball coach. Our mom was, you know, just, uh, charismatic, smart, um, feminist. Uh, she was a high school history teacher. So every, you know, we just mattered. And that's Neil and me from biological parents. And then my stepdad brought in four boys and we had a full table throwing elbows, chuck and rolls across the table. I, you know, I had to, had to protect my food when I left the table, I'd, I'd lick all my food so they wouldn't eat it. Um, but we just had this thing that our opinion mattered, our voice mattered. Um, I knew early on what it meant to operate as coach's kid and how I was going to conduct myself. And so that, you know, fast forward to that decision, coach's kid is going to zag and coach's kid is struggling. And, um, you know, I look back on it and it was, it was absolutely one of the best decisions I could have ever made, uh, for my own survival, for sure. 
It's amazing. It's when we go through those stuck times in our life when everything seems bleak and seems like we can't get out of it, but you make that pivot and it ends up being something so much more beautiful. I always call it like when one door closes, four open and an entire beachfront patio overlooking yeah. the ocean. Yeah. And well, you, what, as your mom, as your mom said in the book, oh, house open for you, brother. You got I it. Mean, You've been reading this. <laughs> there she is. Mom and nurse it. calling it. I love it. it, Megan. I love it. So that led you to an amazing role that, that you had. And, and you're famous for being a thoughtful, strategic, just next level leader for Nike. And, and just talk about some of the, the, the roles that you've had. You've been the GM of basketball, North America for Nike. You've been a London international product. Like to have a group of, and you grew up on it, a group of men looking up to you you leading them is something that's just so, so inspiring. Well, uh, thank you for that. Um, I, you know, I got to university of Oregon and it was Neil, I, I was getting ready to graduate and my college career was not memorable. I was never the student that I had once been. Uh, but I, but I got, but I made it, I got through and then Neil said, I think you should, I think you should work at Nike. I think it'd be really cool if you work for Nike. And I looked at the newspaper and there was a, there was a one, you know, a, a one ad uh, for a customer service rep. And um, th- that's where I started. And it was like the headset, um, you know, may I take your order? Um, Everything was, um, you know, nothing, every, everything was by on paper. Um, And I just started to feel that familiar. I matter that worthiness was starting to come back um, in my new Nike surrounding and Nike really became that vehicle for me to start to find my swagger again, to find my worthiness again. Um, And my approach was exactly what I had been raised on from big Dave and my mom. Um, And that was, and my dad, my, my, my dad is part of that equation and my, all my brothers. and, um, And that was just head down, head down, do good, do good work, you know, good, you know, hard work is always going to find its way. Good work is always going to be elevated. And that was my mantra. It was literally head down to do the work, do, do good work. And then I think from a, um, you know, just where things started to accelerate is, um, God, you know, I became an Eakin, which is the tech rep force out in the, you know, you're an ambassador of goodwill for Nike. Um, so you're sort of, you're, you're in front of people, you're rocking and rolling the Nike story, um, went out in the sales force, uh, came back, started to develop the merchandising function at Nike. And then a gentleman tapped me on the shoulder and said, I heard that you would like to go overseas. And by that time I had been at Nike 20, 20 years. And I thought that opportunity had passed me by. I didn't think anybody was interested in, in me getting that experience because I had been really overt about it. And sure enough, I then became the, the general manager of running for 
the UK and Ireland during an Olympics year, 2012. And, you know, I think the idea for me, not only the head down, just do good work is I'm, I, I was pretty solid. And I, and I think London, I became even better at the, so what the what's in it for my audience? What, what is it that they really need from me? Um, and I think that was the pivot in London where I understood, first of all, I understood what was at stake with the Olympics. It was a huge undertaking that we were doing and it was the hardest I'd ever worked at Nike, but it was also the most fulfilling. The team was, was incredible. Um, we struggled together. We uh, celebrated together. And then I think from there, you know, um, Western Europe, you know, and sort of opened up and I was the head of running for all of Western Europe. So it just kind of, you know, ticked the next box up. And then to be invited back as a, to repatriate as the general manager of basketball for North America, which is like, you know, at the time was like 96% of the global business um, was just really something special because it, it, it brought everything full circle, having been raised by this basketball coach. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Big Dave uh, did not live to see that moment. But uh, my brothers, my brothers certainly celebrated, certainly celebrated that uh, that role in a big way. Megan, that's that's an amazing journey. And you hit on so many valuable points in there. First one being appreciation, the appreciation you felt at the Nike family. I mean, that's what it's all about, having impact and feeling like we matter and being able to have that with a company, which I'm going to bring us back full circle here in a second. But what I see you as, too, is you're, you're kind of like my friend Eric Spolster. He's the head coach for the Miami Heat. And he He's started – Jesuit alum, where my my son goes to school. I was going to say, yep, he's a Portland guy, yep. Yeah, yeah. People come up there. Go Crusaders. Yeah, and by the way, (laughs) the the person who introduced us together, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention, really good friend of mine, been a mentor to me, Archie. Archie, who is also, he he calls you a mentor, which is amazing. But but you know what, you, Archie as well, Eric Spolster as well, just from the bottom to the top, where you had a mindset of no problem. If something's asked of you, no problem. If you have to change roles, no problem. You're going to be diverse, flexible, but always doing it for others. So big time props to you on this. And now, now we really want to get into the meat of it. So what you're doing now, what you're speaking out about now, what's special about this, Megan, is this is your first podcast of really getting that message out there. So when you're big time all over the place and your book is a number one best time bestseller, it's, it's going it's to come back me, to it. It all started here. <laughs> It's it you will. and me and Archie McEachern, okay? That's it. That's it. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. So at Nike, you felt the, the bullying. You felt the – I mean, it, it was a family, but there's, there's real thing, bullying in the office, in the workplace. Can you talk on your experience with that and how, I mean, how you overcame that and how you're making a movement for people to realize it and be able to overcome it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so interesting because I think that culture, you know, Nike's foundation is built on, on the culture of sport and that's so fantastic, you know, and I, I think I said, uh, I always am, am sort of the sports metaphor, throw one at, throw one at me. I'm in like, I'm whatever group that is I'm in because that's, 
that's my upbringing, that's, um, that's how I'm wired. And I think that there's sort of that, um, that shadow thought to that as well. There's kind of that dark, the dark underbelly of sport where, you know, just do it becomes a bit sinister and, uh, and complicated in that it's, you know, driving uh, people uh, and, and maybe losing that appreciation, um, that familial sort of, I got your back approach. And I think for me, uh, my experience with, with Nike was so incredibly positive. And I still look back at the almost 30 years. So I was at Nike, you know, over half my life. And I look back on it so fondly. But the shift for me happened uh, about the ending of my London experience. There was an administrative shift up top. And I think what I saw happen was that executive leadership really lost sight of and, and just lost the plot and started to... The, the drive was a number mm-hmm. by a year and you felt it immediately as somebody who was on that trajectory and presented to the executive leadership team. I felt it immediately. And it was that difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. And you felt it. And the administrative difference that I noticed was uh, the the previous one had really been the the, uh, one of collaboration. Uh, One, one guy doesn't have all the answers gonna push you, but we're in it together. Like he really felt like that. The shift for me was that, that it was the opposite of that. It was it's one person's voice and you better line up. And it became, that became the most important thing for anybody sort of in that circle to do um, was, was it really became like, yeah, what he said. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. What he said. Mm-hmm. And we sort of, I feel like we lost that collaborative environment. And so that kind of started what I would call this sort of culture that had shifted from the, the, you know, really leveraging the beauty of sport and the beauty of competition and the beauty of pushing yourself and the beauty of team uh, and the beauty of learning and challenging and all those things that you think about when you grew up and you start, you know, going to basketball camp and, um, you know, three man weave or doing your layup drills or whatever it is. It's like, you're in it together. Um, and then I just, from there, I really ran into some overt, um, workplace bullying. Um, and it really took me by surprise because by that point I was a vice president. I, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, I, I had kind of made it. I mean, yeah. I'm a female executive at Nike where there aren't very many of me. 
I am heading up running in Western Europe. I'm then heading up basketball for North America and I'm running into some picks I cannot work around. And my wiring is such, my upbringing is such that you do work the picks. You muscle through um, and I couldn't. And that was a stunner and a stinger for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's a real thing, and it's something a lot of places avoid. It's it's the essence is a toxic culture. It's where people are walking on eggshells, and it's a lot of group thinking. It just takes away the the excitement and the joy of working in that culture. So, how do we as employees or leaders? How do we combat that, and how do we have a culture of all inclusive acceptance for? a bigger purpose, the mission that we're on. Like, how, how do we combat this workplace bullying? I feel the electrolytes charging through my body as we speak. Hey, I got to tell you about Element, L-M-N-T. I've been a super fan since day one. And now, I mean, like these Lance Armstrongs and Tim Ferriss are on board with it. But what Element is, is a tasty electrolyte drink mix. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following keto, low-carb, paleo diet. We don't need any more sugar. We don't need the Gatorade and all that sugar that's in it. We need the salt. And that's what Element brings. It brings a recharging electrolyte, super tasty. They got citrus, lemon, orange, many, many flavors. And there's a few staples as an optimizer, total optimizer myself that I do every single day. Water, coffee, gratitude, spend time with my wife and Element. I'll have it twice a day in the morning when I wake up and during my workout. One 1,000 mgs of sodium, 200 potassium, and 60 magnesium. It is all the good stuff that is going to recharge you and just juice you up for an ultimate day element. It's interesting uh, because it's a it's an it's an epidemic workplace bullying, and it's known as the undiscussable Oof, because there, it, and it is very shame shame filled. Um, so those who have experienced it. I'll speak for myself. Um, there's shame that comes with it. You're confused. You don't understand it. You're not sure. Is that, is that normal behavior to not introduce me in my first, uh, global meeting? Mm. That's not normal. It's actually a way to start diminishing you and to make sure that you start to disappear. And I think you know, it's such a big question in terms of how you um, ensure that cultures, that corporate cultures um, understand it. And I think for me, what my goal is, is to elevate it as a conversation to have. Um, when I ran into workplace bullying, the interesting thing and the shattering thing that happened is it had such an effect on me that it launched me, catapulted me back in time, 35 years to that pivot I told you about when my mom died. So workplace bullying had that kind of effect on me that it could take me back to the worst moment of my life. And what, so what does that tell us? It tells us workplace bullying can really do a number on you. 
And back to your question in terms of uh, just sort of what we can do from a corporate culture standpoint, I think really recognizing when you've got the bad seeds that are planted and that are land track and when your goals become something that is not intrinsically valuable, but is externally valuable. Um, I think you're, you're running, you know, it's a slippery, slippery slope. It's interesting with, um, I've been following Ben and Jerry's a little bit since um, the uh, murder of George Floyd and Ben and Jerry's was a brand that came out and they absolutely said silence is not an option. It was, it, it was immediate. And I looked at that and then I, I compared that to some other brands. And when we talk about corporate culture, what you know right away then is Ben and Jerry's had laid that track long before that incident happened. They, they had done that work. And I think what you find with corporations is when they are trying to react to external uh, forces or pressures, as those forces, forces of pressure happens, um, it's not authentic. Um, they're behind. And I think that can be uh, really identified in this sort of workplace bullying area. If, if you're going to react to it um, after the fact, you're already, you're already playing catch up. So yeah. my hope is to elevate the conversation to make the undiscussable discussable, nice. um, to shine a light on workplace bullying and to allow those who are suffering from it to understand they are not suffering alone. That's really good. I love that term, the undiscussable, because there's a lot that gets pushed under the rug and we're supposed to just go on with our way and not, not speak out. And that's an issue with a lot that's going on with America and this world right now, where a lot of to be honest, people are just sheep. They're afraid to stand up for what's right, and, and we yeah. need to. So I love the proactive versus reactive that you have, that, that that type of mindset needs to be done in the health field. It needs to be done in everything. Be proactive before it happens. So right. let's talk about what's coming next for you. So you got some big things in the work, and I'm excited for your book. I'm excited for the movement that your book is going to make. So let's just preview. Give a little teaser out there to the audience. Well, okay. So I've written a book called See Me. And my hope with the book is to do exactly what we just talked about, which is to elevate this undiscussable of workplace bullying um, and shine a light on it. And with that, you know, until you can identify, label, shine a light, discuss something, you, you can't fix it. You, there, there's no hope, really, right? As you said, when you keep sort of shoving it under the carpet, um, there's, there's no hope for it. And my hope with the book is, is that it does just that. It gets people talking about something that we just, you know, there, there just isn't much out there written about it. Um, there's, there's sort of fragments of people talking about it, but, you know, I think of, of, um, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on her name? The woman that started, uh, Toronto, Toronto Burke. Oh yeah. Um, that 
you know, she started saying me too. Yeah. 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 Back in, back in 2006. And for me, I, I want hashtag see me to do for workplace bullying, what Toronto Burke and hashtag me too has done and continues to do for sexual around sexual harassment. That's my bigger, bolder, you know, big audacious goal as we would say um, that I want to launch a movement um, around this issue. Megan, I, I love that. And I think it has even a bigger impact on just corporate bullying. The see me, it can go down to school systems. Like bullying is one of those undiscussables you're not supposed to talk about, but it's so real and it's, it affects us and it can affect someone's entire life. So thank you. That is amazing. Standing for that, making that a movement. And yeah, let's, let's hashtag that. Make that a movement. Let's we'll hashtag, hashtag pivot and then we'll hashtag see me. So we'll, we we'll have go. our own There we go. I going. like it. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, hey. I had a, I, there's a, there's a group that I, I helped uh, found uh, called wing women and okay. uh, Pamela Nefakara, who is, um, was a former colleague of mine at Nike. And she had this vision and it was really to start this female network of post Nike Oh, wow. uh, colleagues okay, and post Nike employees. So once you leave, you, the only requirement is that you are female. And so you can join, um, or you identify as female. Um, so you can, you join the wing women and it's interesting. Our first meeting, when we started to first talk about why we were doing this, what we were doing this after that meeting, one of the other founding members. So we sat around, had a lunch, discussed what we wanted to do. She reached out to me and she wanted to have a coffee. And she's somebody that I did not know well, um, had worked maybe around a bit at Nike. We went out for coffee and she said, I wish I had reached out to you at Nike. And I said, you know, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, I knew something was happening to you. Wow. And I said, I I really, you know, kind of knocked the wind out of me. And, and I, I said, what, what, you know, tell me more. And she said, you were always so big. You were this big charismatic personality. I'm five, two, by the way. (laughs) But she said, you know, you, 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 you were always like in, you always opted in. And she said, and then I saw you get smaller. Mm. And she said, and I, I knew something was happening to you. And I wish that I had reached out to you because maybe I could have done something. And I think it was such a lovely story. It was uh, such a, a wonderful thing for her to reach out and tell me that. And I think part of a big part of, for me, you know, with see me, is is exactly that story. I, there's no there's no suffering in silence, and I I want people to understand that that this happens all the time. All the time. It happens to whether you're you're just starting out or in a position you actually think you've made it. And I just thought her reaching out for me was kind of the, that was a watershed moment of, I need to bring this to the forefront and make sure that we're talking about it. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful. It's very powerful right there. 
that's that's being proactive. She should have been proactive. Could have changed a lot. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, but but no, just I know. the it's, fact that she knew it and right. There, and as I said to her, I, I said, hey, the die had been cast. Yeah. You know, exactly. it, it, it's the way that was going down. But um, yep. but I so appreciated it. And and I guess to your point, I hope that in the future, that person would say something and, sure. and you know, would make that happen. Absolutely. Megan, as we wind down here on the Pivot and Go podcast, I want to throw you on the rapid fire hot seat. So this is whatever comes to your mind, quick, short answers, just blurt it out. The first one I have for you is, do you have a favorite mindset quote that you might live by, a mantra, not just do it, that doesn't count, not no, <laughs> something no, you put no. on your fridge, on your bathroom mirror, anything that you really hold on to? Well, I mean, I don't think we can overuse the pivot and go okay. uh, examples here because I'm doing the 29 day blueprint Let's right go. now to redefine and achieve my success. And the, I vote for myself daily mm. really resonates so good. Um, because it's right there with the, I am worthy. You know, I'm worthy of my gifts, my goals, my game, my greatness, my glory, all of it. I'm worthy. So I love that. I vote for myself daily. I'm sticking with it. Hey, you might be my favorite guest on this podcast. That's the first time we've had someone drop a pivot and go quote on here. So, Oh, hey, it's so obvious. Come hey, on. little does Come anybody on. know. You need Megan, new is, Megan is also my agent, everybody, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. The next one I have for you, Megan, what does leaving a legacy mean to you? I think I might know the answer to this one we've been talking about, but not necessarily the billboard or what the world says, but what does leaving a legacy mean to you? You know, I've got kids. I've got a 16-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter. And when I was going through everything that I was going through at Nike, I mean, it was a big deal that mama was the head of basketball. Oh, for sure. And when I decided that that wasn't, that was no longer going to be my job title, um, I talked to them about it. And I, and they knew what had happened at, at Nike because we talked about bullying and, and I literally said, you know, how we, how we talk about bullies at school. We don't talk, we don't tolerate bullies, Well, we don't tolerate bullies at Nike either at work. And when we were, we were in the car one day and I'm driving and I've got, uh, you know, nine-year-old in the back seat and an 11-year-old in the front seat, nine-year-old girl and a daughter in the back seat and my son in the front. And I said, wow, I really learned a lot about this, about myself and just a lot from this whole experience. You know, geez, what, what about you guys? Have you, you know, you learned anything? This little nine-year-old voice from the back says, stand up for yourself. That's awesome. And the little 11 year old in the front looks at me sideways and says, and keep standing up for yourself. Oh. And that for me, that's my legacy. That's awesome. Megan, that's, that is giving me goosebumps, bone chilling right there. How about that? <laughs> that is beautiful. Well, okay. well, they make it happen. Got a fun one for you here. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So if you could choose three people that you would invite to a dinner to hang out with and just have great conversation with, who would you choose and what are you guys eating? Be very specific on the food. I'm a food junkie. 
Ooh, so am I. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay. My family gets to be there. So they, okay. So I'm okay, just they're already there. Archie's out. already there too. Okay. You don't have to call on Archie. He's, Archie's he's there. You're there. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, it, my mom's there because yep. she's cooking and yep. she's making spaghetti and meatballs. Perfect. Okay. And maybe we have some scallops as an appetizer because she was scallops. really big on scallops. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I really want to sit down and break bread with um, Toronto Burke. The yeah. Me Too. Great one. Uh, gal. I, I really, I am so inspired by her. I am kind of pivoting, you know, from the writing of the manuscript into sort of screenplay world. And, mm. and I'm really curious about that world. I've just taken like a, an intensive six day screenplay writing class with Naomi McDougal Jones, one of my new pals. Um, and so I got to have um, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and yeah. they count as one. Yeah. They're, they're like one person. They're, they're going to share a meal. They'll share a chair. <laughs> Um, uh, because I'm so, uh, I, I'd be so enthusiastic to hear about their screenplay writing. Plus I'm so on the show that they're currently doing, which is called city on a hill, mm-hmm. which our friend Matt Del Negro is in. So I just, I just would want to pick their brains. Um, and then, Ooh, uh, my, a new friend of mine, I would want to invite because she would be this great conversationalist and she's a connector is Jen Pasteloff. Okay. And Jen Pasteloff wrote on being human, which is a beautiful book and required reading. Wow. And I would want her to be there. And then the musical guest, because we have the musical guest. <laughs> this is awesome. Which is, of course, Bruce Springsteen. Because there's, oh. no there's no other for me. So, yeah, that's my table. We're eating spaghetti. Mom's bossing everybody around. <laughs> we got Springsteen. We got the... the Hey. Affleck Damon connection, and we got Toronto Burke. This—that's the coolest group I've had heard and most in depth. So not only have <laughs> we had the best quote, probably the best legacy, and the best <laughs> dinner. This is gold. And to be oh your, my to be one of your first podcasts, and you to do this amazing with this knowledge, this is it's, unbelievable. It's- as Neil Everett would say, it's it's you. It's the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably hear him say that tonight on Sports Center <laughs> exactly. too. Hey, exactly. how can we all follow you, support you, just know everything that you're up to and, you know, just, just basically stalk you, Megan. I love it. Um, gosh, I am so new to a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, having published your book and, and getting that out there, I guess what I would say is um, if there's an opportunity to follow me on Instagram at Megan M. Carl, do it. If anything resonates that I'm doing on LinkedIn, I tend to post on LinkedIn nice. under my name, Megan Carl. I'm brand new to Twitter at Megan M. Carl. Um, and God, reach out. Let's have a conversation. Love it. I love it. And you're just going to continue to grow and grow and grow in that as your brand, as your movement continues to increase. I'm excited for you on that. All right. Thank the you last so question I have for you that we ask everybody on the Pivot and Go podcast before we let you off, if, if you could give a piece of advice, a drop the mic piece of advice to someone who feels stuck in their situation, they can't get out, they're stuck in the mud, what would you tell them to be able to pivot and go? You know, I would say don't be stuck alone. Oh, good. Don't be stuck alone. That you know. is... 
really good, and that is a drop the mic there. We can't do it by ourselves. If we try to get through something by ourselves, if you're going through something, reach out. There's people to help you. That's what we have these support systems for. Megan, I want you in my support system. Like, unbelievable. Getting to know you you. over these past few weeks and through Archie is just, you're doing amazing things, and you're going to have a huge, huge impact on so many lives, much more than you even did at Nike, and you did amazing things there. So thank, thank you for you, all David. you do. Thank you for gracing us with your time and your presence here on the Pivot and Go podcast. Thank you. My pleasure being here. Thank you so much for giving your time to me and listening to the podcast. Without you, none of this would be possible. The feedback, the reviews, the ratings you give this podcast help to grow the audience and the reach for us to be able to bring on new guests each week and provide that 1% daily steps we can all implement from top NBA players, high performers, and just from amazing people doing amazing things to better this world. And it's all because of you. And if you could, I will shout you out, personally thank you, leave a review on iTunes or the podcast app on your phone. Five stars if you love it. One star, of course, if you hate it, and leave a comment of what you liked about it or questions, suggestions that you might have. Post on social media and tag me at David Nurse NBA, and I will repost the reviews the podcast gets. I'll shout you out personally for sure. Thank you so much for being the best community, the best family, the best 1% squad. So blessed for all of you out there. Now go out there today and speak a word of encouragement to someone. You can and you will make a difference.